0: I'm going to have to, like, put the sad violin playing through every time I start to talk. You know? My fucking Eeyore today. Um, I'll race you to the bottom. <laughs> yeah. It'll be like those, you know, you put the coin in and it downward spirals. We can going to be like, I'd have fun if I wasn't so depressed. Um, I'm not that depressed. I just, you know.
1: Peaks and valleys. Um, you know what fixes all depression? <laughs>
0: Jesus, that sounded like you were cocking a gun or something. You're like... Sh, sh. Glug, glug, glug. Um, yeah, that that's that's the stuff. I'm Ryan.
1: I'm Harland. He is the Dodds. is <laughs> the Doddler's <laughs> Philosophy Podcast. About...
0: About two dudes talking about aliens. Green men with fucking, you know, clipboards and anal probes and stuff.
1: I hope that's uh one of the first items on the agenda. <laughs> Where are they in
0: my life? Uh, yeah. There's there's maybe more to that than Is that. this kind of a
1: how-to <laughs> <laughs> maximize oh, your chances you got... of abduction?
0: <laughs> yeah, first you're going to get yourself quick to the desert southwest of the United States of America. Drive a old 50s-looking car, just aimlessly around whatever roads you can find, and a beam will shoot down upon you and shut down all the energy in the vicinity.
1: And then you when I was growing up. up, I thought I was doing pretty well to maximize my chances living in the farm country in the middle of nowhere and doing a bunch of bonfires out at night in a field somewhere. It's like, yeah, if it's going to happen, I got a shot. You got a shot, but I think the aliens really fetishize the
0: desert southwest for some reason. You know, they really like that area. They're like, this is, I just, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when people go to a tourist attraction and they take pictures in front of the Eiffel Tower or whatever. There's lots of other great parts to abduct people. But they, you know, you got that one spot, and you just—it's where my daddy did it,
1: and my daddy's daddy. Something. So, all right, the dawdlers <laughs> are going to talk about aliens. I'm going to ass- i assume they are not going to talk about uh, Arizona Hicks being abducted for two hours. <laughs> no. Is there anything? Yeah. You know, what? What intelligent? or interesting things can be said about aliens beyond the kooky uh travel channel ten pm special with <laughs> the with that guy with the frizzy hair and whatever. Uh, is Eric von Daniken coming tonight? What are we doing? Yeah, so we
0: are uh Thanks for giving me old prod. Um, I don't think that, you know, we're going to talk about little green men so much, uh, as much as we're going to talk about kind of the, the overall topic and the curiosity that surrounds it. And, you know, that a lot of, you know, smart people have also jumped in on that and just said, Hey, let's, let's do some science about it, you know? And, uh, When we say little green men and all that, I guess what we're really saying is, um, quote unquote, intelligent, uh, things out there in outer space, or some people like to talk about dimensions and stuff, but whatever, uh, we can go traditional (laughs) today. Uh, and, uh, so yeah, that's kind of the, the general topic and, I think what we really kind of want to uh, press is maybe that, um, and no pun intended, but that sometimes when we do this kind of research, um, we being humanity, uh, we we pull focus on a rather narrow bandwidth. <laughs> um, and that there might be, Uh, other ways to think about the problem potentially um, that uh, we don't normally do or that normally maybe don't get as many National Science Foundation grants or whatnot.
1: Stodgy old bastards. Yeah. It can't be good for the PR branch of whatever the science terms for this are for astrobiology and etc that it has the stigma that it does have from all the anal probe types and all the whitley strebers and it there's a quite a pedigree that comes with this topic i think that probably some people even seeing it in a list of topics would just be like oh dismissal it's one of those i'm out
0: yeah Yeah, I I think certainly there is a stigma associated, especially with UFOs and stuff. Unidentified flying objects. Um, And UFOs has gone through a similar kind of set of transitions like um, special creation has. You know, like now we have intelligent design and UFOs now has UAP, like unidentified aerial phenomena. You know, like somehow they're trying to get away from, you know, the stigma associated with with a, you know, set of symbols or whatever. And they're now trying to kind of start a fresh, you know, kind of thing. And I'm not saying that they're like special creation people, but there is a similar kind of like makeover or whatever, uh, facelift that's going on with that topic. But at the same time, there's been this rather... I think probably since the mid-20th century with, you know, all the advancements post-World War II regarding nuclear power, uh, whether that be for destroying things or for generating energy to power other things, what have you. um, There's been a lot of research that just goes into the kind of interesting questions um, that happened over the lunch table. when Someone like Dr. Fermi says, well, where are all these aliens supposed to be, you know? How come they haven't come to see us yet? Even though we're only 10 years into the nuclear age. Uh, oh, yeah. at that time, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, it's, maybe it was more than 10 years. I don't know. But, you know, it's like, it seemed like it was pretty early on. He was a younger man at the time, right?
1: I don't know. It strikes me as a good question.
0: Anyway. So, that was sort of, that's sort of the, the, the path that we've gone down since with more legitimate, quote unquote, legitimate people such as Carl Sagan and the SETI program. It's much more aligned with, you know, astrophysics and cosmology and all that kind of stuff. Um, but still, there's, there's interesting things that people have done in light of that. And some people have made contributions that are perhaps more lasting than others. And we still sort of talk about them and they still seem somewhat relevant today, as discussion points, I think. So one of them could be the Kardashev scale. Another could be, uh, the you know, the great filter, you know. So these are the kinds of things that I think we want to chit-chat about a little today. Um, I'm going to let you uh, throw words at the microphone
1: because I've been talking. <laughs> oh, no, like... Yeah, that if you got some things like I don't know, I what is that? What's a Kardashev scale, or whichever one you want to start with?
0: I guess we could start with the Kardashev stuff. So in nineteen sixty-seven, this guy, last name of Kardashev, and I. And, you know, back in the day, when you have, I just have the papers, I always know the last name, I didn't do a deep dive into like the personal history of this individual. So I don't know what NS stands for, but that's the first two initials of his name. You know, he was a, you know, astrophysicist, and he was, he had interests in well, what bandwidth, where should we, given all the things we understand about the vacuum of space, what electromagnetic waves wavelengths should we be targeting to send signals out into space um or you know if we are going to receive any signals where should we potentially expect them to be and so he kind of with that in mind started to um you know it was a lot of math but he just started to work out what the problem would be and where we should expect to try and see if we can pick up transmissions and if we can actually also send transmissions. But the, the issue came down to one particular variable in one of the particular equations that he used. And it was just power, Power. you know, just like how much power can we, you know, use to send a signal, um, or how much power do we need to send a signal, a certain amount of light years out into space? The idea being that, uh, we're using all these various different types of ways to communicate, and so he was he was interested in in power, and so he thought of it, it's it's funny because it's sort of a continuous, you know, scale of or you know gradient of different power outputs you can imagine. But he's he thought about I think it was I think Freeman Dyson in 1966 had published about the Dyson sphere idea, which is this idea that you'd surround a sun or a star in some type of photoreceptor type technology that would receive the light emitted from the sun and you could power all your activities using the sun, the incoming solar radiation. And so this is 1967. And so one of the things he tried to think about was with his curiosity about, well, what should, you know, what's the power that we'll need And uh, so one of the things he looked at was, well, you know, what, you know, how much is is produced by a star, you know, so if there is a Dyson sphere, and there's a civilization, such as potentially a future version of ourselves or something like that, trying to harness the energy from the sun, not unlike what we're trying to do, I guess, to some extent today, uh, with our solar panels and all that, what's the what's the energy level, uh, or energy consumption that's required? in order to be able to put out a signal that's powerful enough to go a certain distance. And so he then started to think, I think, just me backtracking through his paper, you know, then he started to create these, because he has, this is like a waypoint, you can start to think about, well, different areas of scale. And so, you know, he starts, He starts also talks about a technological level close to the one that we're at. And um, then he thinks about, uh, you know, one even larger than just trying to get the energy from a sun or the star, a star or something like that, but actually trying to harness the energy from multiple stars, perhaps, or some other uh, energy, you know, at a scale uh, similar to, say, a galaxy. So, you know, using the energy on a scale of your own galaxy. So these three were one, two, and three type civilizations, as he called them. Um, So type one is something similar to us. As a sort of side note, uh, Carl Sagan was like, we're a 0.7 type (laughs) civilization.
1: Yeah, I thought I was going to say, we're not even
0: one, aren't we? We're not even one. But, you know, uh, and then type two was the Dyson Sphere type. Type three uses various uh, stars or some other kind of energy equivalent to that which is pumped out by a star or greater, I suppose. But that the scale of your own galaxy would be, what you consume and that those different types of those different energy inputs to your civilization would allow you to send signals even further you know um and so then there's this he has in his equation the whole problem of like okay well say you can send a signal a certain radius around you or whatever then you know how much, what's the, what's the zone or area that somebody might be receiving it and how much do you overlap with that? So there's a whole bunch of different uh, factors. And he uses as his sort of baseline, one of the, you know, sort of Shannon, Claude Shannon, the guy who has the information theory, he used that as part of a way to kind of build an equation that he was using, which is just sort of the, you know, it's an equation for the the transmission of information.
1: It's like an information transmission equation. Anyway, sorry. So that's, uh, yeah. So part of this sounds like a, a common theme that we're going to run into in many different aspects tonight, I think, that when we're doing the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, we start from uh, humans, earth, whatever given year we're working in right we almost because we have to or because why not or it seems you got to start somewhere we take ourselves as the baseline and then assume that whatever we're looking for is going to be similar to us in various respects right how could he yeah yeah he couldn't even get started with his scale if he didn't start with us right mm-hmm okay so we start there because he's just like well we gotta you know what do you want me to do i mm-hmm. need to start plugging away at this so we'll take humans and then you were stressing a lot in that exposition the strength of signal right that you were calling power and then yeah. was the other component what the signal consists of and would that be either something to do with wavelength or patterns of information in the signal or both well a lot of it also
0: has to do with just trying to cut through you know i guess what they call the the sort of noise temperature and so there's uh three particular variables uh types of temperatures that he's looking at and you know you want to you want to get at the right uh, you want to send a signal through the right temperature, but the three variables are you know um there's a sort of uh there's a certain type of uh, radiation that's creating uh temperature there's also sort of a, a the thermal kind of background cosmic radiation and then um there's uh the i guess it's the it's like a it's this quantum fluctuation. In what's called the minimal detectable signal, or whatever, Um, and so there's you try you got to cut through and get to the right. You want the right, you know, type of temperature to be able to go through. So you're not having your signal being absorbed through uh, the vacuum of space in particular ways. I am not a physicist, but that's the basic
1: understanding that I have. And is that for someone even more ignorant than you about this? Would that be would i be close enough if i thought of that as here's the little morse code style signal that we're sending through whatever wave we're emitting or not really um it's not about the pattern or the little doo 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 that's not <laughs> what you're talking about no is that kind of a third thing
0: the information associated with it, yeah, like the the stuff that's riding over the top, I guess so,
1: like do we send um, the Fibonacci sequence or do we map prime numbers or do we send an orchestra or what that we want the signal to have some kind of identifiable pattern so that if someone else picked it up, they would say, "Wow, instead of saying, "I don't know what this is. it could be random
0: yeah, I, I you know to be honest with you, I don't recall. And I, I mean, he was talking about like you know bits of information and stuff like that, and so maybe, you know, there's something to that. Okay, uh, but, but I, you're
1: that might be a separate issue or something. That's not what the Cole McGraw or whatever <laughs> I forgot the name. K- Kardashev, yeah, was the, the, that's not what yeah. he was interested in.
0: I don't think so. I think it was just mostly it was just a, what's the transmission problem. And how much power do you require to be able to send the signal a good amount of distance, um, knowing that there might be some friction even
1: in the vacuum of space? Everything is complicated once you get to the details, right? Yeah.
0: Well, that's the other thing. Not only is it complicated, but it's also sort of isolating because you've drilled down and now you're like in your own little weird inverted island well of sorts and you're like I can't see to the next to the other side or you know what I mean like you have to come come up for air and see where the
1: all the different spots people have drilled down it's hard to make connections anyway and then you were saying this also is supposed to help us look for signals in theory right mhm is there anything you can say about well
0: i mean how the thing about
1: assisted us there i th- i don't
0: you know the, the i I think, in particular, where it just came down to this paper, which I think is, a, you know, certainly an influential paper um, within that community um, of alien-seeking people, yeah. I I think that, as I can understand it, he was primarily concerned about sending a signal, and that um, I thought, and I you know can't remember all the details unfortunately, but I thought it was just assumed that you know who, you know, that there's a sort of cutoff point upon which someone's capable of receiving the signal, you know, it's just that, you know, uh, you know, here we are, you know, in our little, little world and we, we can only receive so much, uh, signal cause you know, there's only so much money and resources to put into just trying to receive the signal and, and, um, you know, there's, uh, maybe a type three civilization out there and, Maybe eventually their signal comes and hits us, and then we catch it because they can send it far enough. But we, you know, our signal may not reach them as well because we just can't, it just doesn't go nearly as far. So I think the assumption is that you can receive a signal, then it's just a matter of how, can you send one, you know, and how far.
1: Mm-hmm. So this guy would be helping the engineers by suggesting. Very, uh, what values to put in various variables so that you maximize the length and um duration or something, uh, that it, you don't want it to decay yeah. or of your signals.
0: Yeah, I think these are just other um sort of boundaries. So, I mean, obviously, I don't know if you can s- circumvent the Dyson sphere. And still find a way to capture the energy of the sun, you know, um, in a different creative way. But given that we can't think outside of that basic problem, outside of just literally setting in orbit around the sun, our, our technologies that receive the the radiation, he's just saying this would be maybe the power output we'd require to be able to send this type of signal, this distance or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, I honestly... I'm guessing when he did the research, he was probably just figure. I mean, I don't know. And I bet maybe there's interviews out there. I don't know. But my guess is that, you know, to me, this seems – the type 1, 2, and 3 sounds like an afterthought, you know, something like he was screwing around with the math, and he was just like, huh, you know, and he, he – you know, of course, he probably read the Dyson Sphere paper. You know, and just kind of was like, oh, I can make this connection. I can connect this to this and I can, you know, start to, sp- you know, open it up a little bit. But then within the scope of just a paper, right? It's not a book. So he's not going to be like, and then the type 20, similar, you know, <laughs> like, it's just like one, two, three, you know, or, you know, 2.5 or, you know, whatever. You know, it's like, I think he just kind of tried to give the paper a little bit more context, you know, uh, that's my guess, you know.
1: Again, st- Starting with humans as the baseline, we appear to enjoy triples.
0: Absolutely, we love it. We love our triangles. Try and enjoy. So anyway,
1: one episode no one likes.
0: So yeah, so that's essentially kind of the basic. And this paper is very just, you know, it's a very. I think anyway, it's very much a workman paper. It is not like an essay, you know, or he's not, you know. He's just trying to solve a, a physical problem. You know what I mean? He's Like you have mentioned about scientists, just like, well, I want to find a solution to this problem or whatever, you know? And um, it's a fun, good little paper I like. And uh, so cool.
1: but it's relevant. People like it. Yeah. <laughs> Check it out, everybody. I've never heard of that one. But yeah, sounds like a, a thing that would be a problem. And as progress honorable problem. Yeah. Uh, Figuring out how to maximize the efficacy of our signal distributions to maximize the likelihood of being discovered by critters like us. (laughs) Just like us. And then, you know, the other thing
0: was, and I think people have been going on and on about this for a long time. So, you know, this guy Fermi, He asked, you know, well, where is everybody? And then apparently there's the famous back-of-the-envelope calculation, and he used a diffusion process in trying to come up with a calculation for, well, what would would be the, the important factors or variables involved in a civilization spreading throughout the stars? And one of the things he came up with was, well, they... I don't remember the details, but they should have been here by now if they're over this distance or whatever. And and the diffusion thing is kind of like the diffusion of a gas, you know, through a through a box or something, a you know, abstract space, you know, little um, a little packet of existence, whatever. And so that was kind of the idea. And so that's always sort of been a difficult one. So people have approached it from different angles trying to understand well they could still be out there but you know like there's a lot of that kind of stuff and so for instance um you know the uh, I, i'm not remembering his his full name i want to say francis. enrico well enrico fermi yes but francis drake is that
1: oh yeah that sounds right okay yeah so, the drake equation guy yeah francis i don't drake. know either but it sounds well, good
0: there's an English naval officer named Francis Drake. Wait a minute. Uh, Drake Equation. Jeez, someone who's listening is like, what? I promise, this is not what's important about this episode, is someone's specific name. But, uh, and of course, no one else ever mentions the guy's name either. They're just like, Drake Equation. And then, yeah, Frank Drake. So maybe it was Francis Drake. He just And so he had this idea that if you want to know the number of civilizations in a galaxy or something like that. And, you know, with whom, I guess, really communication might be possible. You got to like, you know, it's kind of like a probability equations. You know, you got all these various frequencies that are multiplied against each other um, in this equation that are trying to essentially get at, you know, what is the likelihood that there are, you know, a certain number based on all these, all these factors. And so one of them, of course, you know, is sort of, well, he first came up with this idea of, you know, having, you know, stars form at a certain rate and there's, you know, some number or proportion of stars that get planets, you know, how this is, it's kind of a nested thing in a way. And then, you know, how many, you know, what's the average or whatever that could support life and on and on and on. He kind of goes down the line, uh, kind of slowly getting to the point where it's like, well, how long can civilizations last and produce signals and detect signals and all that kind of stuff. So that was sort of another approach to try and, I don't know if it was a direct attempt to answer Enrico Fermi's question, but it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a type of answer that follows, I think the, the, the the Fermi thing. So uh, I'll let you talk if there's anything
1: bumping around your brain. So is the Fermi not based upon the drake? Is the Fermi dependent upon the, the drake? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, because the paradox, as I understand it is, given that we have reason to suspect there are many intelligent species in our neighborhood, why have not yet we come in contact with any? So then, in order to get that first premise that there that we have reason to suspect that there are a bunch out there, I don't know if he directly got it from the Drake or something similar, but that's the that's where you get that premise right
0: uh yeah, I mean, I think people definitely were were talking about all of that, but I don't actually know the timing with mm-hmm. Drake and Fermi. I think the Drake equation was like in the early sixties. And, you know, the Dyson sphere is in 66, and this Kardashev scale thing is 67. But, now you know, it's funny, I decided when you were asking that, I decided to go to Wikipedia, and even they don't really give you any information about that.
1: Well, I it, yeah, it doesn't really matter, at least from the level of just considering the ideas, whether the Fermi paradox uses the Drake equation as its sub-argument for premise one or not. But did I basically get it right, that that's the way to construct this quote-unquote paradox. We have reason to think there should be a lot of intelligent life around. We, as far as any credible reports, that a certain uh, ivory tower elite is willing to accept, have not good reason to think that we have discovered any. We haven't met any intelligences yet, they say. Hence, paradox. Like, what the fuck? They're out there, but we haven't found them, why not? And then, I don't know, I personally have often found that one uh, not quite mind-blowing, but mind-bending, as someone who thinks there ought to be a bunch of intelligent life out there, and probably some that's further along than we are. Uh, But I'm also not convinced that we have any good reason to think we've met them yet, what Why not? What's the explanation for that?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it's like, well, I mean, the theme returns, right? Like, why haven't we met two-legged, smart things like us? You know, like, well, we're not sure. You know what? What can we be confident of? And I'm not sure if there's, you know, a whole lot. And I guess you know what? I think that the Fermi thing came first because. It looks like he was dead by 54, but uh, I could be wrong, you know? I'm sorry. I, I know that's not, like we established, that's not important. But um, for the record. For the record. Uh, But then, so another little favorite paper of mine, I don't know how well this one is distributed, you know, and how... People think about it or not, but there's a paper called Persistence Solves Fermi Paradox but Challenges SETI Projects, and that's just the title. I don't want to get into the deep depths of it in particular. More in math, and I don't care how it it challenges SETI projects at the moment, but what it was essentially, uh, I guess this might be time for a quote. It's by this Brazilian guy, Osame... Canucci. I don't know how else you say his name. Maybe it's Kenoki. I have no idea. You ready?
1: Oh, I'm always ready for quotes. I
0: know you are. But I love asking anyway.
2: So this is the premise that this guy comes up with. He says, Suppose that you're a member of a lost Amazonian tribe that's never been contacted. Now, it is obvious that a technological civilization able to perform travel by air at 1,000 kilometers an hour Certainly had time to colonize the entire globe. But since they have not reached you... You being a member of the lost Amazonian tribe... Should you conclude that there is no such global civilization? A nice view of the global civilization is given by the nocturnal Earth observed from space. It is clear from this view not only the perverse distribution of global wealth, but also the fact that the distribution of technological human colonies, commonly called cities, is highly non-uniform. Huge areas are not inhabited and even never visited or visited sporadically only by fanatic explorers. But despite the provincial worldview of lost tribes, the global civilization is there. I think his point is to try and say that it might not be a simple and
0: uniform diffusion process as assumed by the fermi calculations like it could be that kind of harking to the silly joke about well aliens want to go to the desert southwest they don't want to go to your podunk town in the middle of northern minnesota like it's like you know it's this For it's maybe it also has something to do with complexity theory, you know, where it's like you put one person puts up a flower shop and then it's like, well, I have a flower shop I'm going to start. Where should I put that? I'll put across the street, you know, like and before you know it, you got this clustering and you have a flower district or something like that. Again, that may just be unique to us. Uh, But still, I think that was the whole point that this person was attempting to. Put out there that you know there could be that you know there's other ways to think about these problems rather than just simply saying, well, let's stick to our guns and say it's a diffusion process. Where the fuck are they? You know, instead there could be other things going on, and there could be other approaches to this whole idea of how to spread out through a, a galaxy or whatever, and we might just be missed on a regular, consistent basis, and. Not only that, and this was something I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure I did not make this up. I'm sure I read it somewhere. I thought I read it in this paper that I just read from, but I couldn't find it. But the idea that, like, if you're if you are just somebody who's in a a tribe or whatever, right, and you look up at the sky and you see contrails from planes flying overhead, you know, because they're crisscrossing all over the globe, you know, you might not realize that that's, you know, a global civilization around you flying around and, you know, people are doing all this stuff, you know, you're just in your little spot in the jungle and you look up and there's this weird straight cloud, you know, but you don't, maybe this is all assuming that somehow if you're in some lost tribe that you really don't know that there's a whole world out there, but you know, if that was the case and you look up and you don't know, what you're looking at or what to look for, then it's possible that there's a civilization out there. You just, if you somehow had the wherewithal to ask the question, but that's kind of what I was thinking and that this sort of kind of asks. And it's sort of like a uh, sort of like ant trails rather than, you know, flight paths, not uh diffusion across an entire space.
2: Anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. Which it obviously would be, at least um, physiologically, right? It's not like... Nobody thinks that... Well, I suppose... I mean, but that gets even farther out there. But most people wouldn't think that most of the time, whatever alien civilization were doing interstellar travel, that they wouldn't literally physically be spreading, (laughs) diffusing across the entirety of space. But what they might be doing is that their sensors would be taking readings out across so that their epistemic reach would be maximally diffusive even though their uh, uh, anatomy weren't stretching across all of space. But that might be nonsense. I like the tribes thing. I think it's a good addition to the conversation. It brings up a lot of useful points, um, including some you know, some of the standard ones, like, well, somebody's got to be first, or whatever. Maybe the explanation for us not having encountered another intelligent species has, is not because there couldn't be one or won't be one, but we are the lucky ones, or the unlucky ones, and happen to be the most advanced civilization currently in the universe. It seems highly unlikely, but somebody's got to be it. Um, another yeah. one is like the the lost tribe, like you were saying, potentially has access to evidence of the global civilization, but they don't know how to interpret the signals as indicating a global civilization. They just think they can watch the finger of God draw white lines across the sky, but they don't realize what it indicates. So, perhaps some segment of what we call UFO evidence or any any, uh, sky-gazing phenomenon, maybe we have seen the evidence of the extraterrestrial intelligences, but we didn't know how to interpret it and correctly attribute it.
0: Well, one thing, though, is that, you know, there's a lot of stars out there. And so it's quite possible that even still, like, you wouldn't be, even though, yeah, you're not physiologically spreading yourselves by diffusion across a galaxy or something like that, you might still not be looking in particular areas Uh, because it's just too out of the periphery of where you do tend to look. I mean, say there were multiple, I don't know, uh, civilizations out there or something. I think the likelihood of them talking to each other or listening to each other is much greater than catching some weak signal from us. But that isn't to say that there isn't things that rink-a-dink... Alien intelligences or whatever Aren't able to, you know, come up with But it's just the idea of trying to explain I guess the great great silence Or whatever it is it's called Mm -hmm. And so it was just the notion that Well, on the one hand We don't know what we're looking for If it is out there, potentially And on the other hand They may not be listening anyway Because we don't attract attention by any standard And so that That's the other possibility that they were trying, that this author in particular, I think is trying to get across.
1: Yeah, there's just so many...
0: We're third world species or something is the kind of, you know, or whatever, you know,
1: third world civilization, not a first world, you know. So that perhaps a more advanced civilization would, number one, not actively be seeking us because we're uninteresting and primitive, They may have discovered us and either ignored us or actively wiped it off. Like, who knows? Maybe aliens showed up here, but they've got little men in black flashers and they uh, (laughs) changed the memories of everyone on Earth. You know, we'll never. As soon as you start considering, in my opinion, these kind of sci sci fi far out scenarios, you have to admit of. Anything that you can think of as a possibility, plus realize there's a significant number of things that you will not be able to think of, but that are also possible. Right. One thing that I would say, as a kind of contra the primitive Lost Tribe example, is I wonder when that was written, and I wonder if how much it works, because, I don't know, in 2018, are there any left? If so, in 2050 will there be? I'm pretty sure we're eventually going to exhaust the untrammeled tribes on the surface of Earth. And so, if we really want to make that analogous, it also seems to be saying, well, we either should have already run into them, or will soon, right? Right? Yeah, I mean, that was the idea, that it
0: it might eventually, it might just take some time, but eventually some, some lost group on an island might eventually be encountered or whatever. Yeah, but, uh, but at the same time, you know, if we want to explain what, you know, that's why I think he was saying persistence solves it. So that over time, eventually you do get spotted, but right now we're just they just don't know it they don't care don't know or whatever like they just whatever we're just in the backwoods doing our thing not not really attracting any attention
1: yeah i and i don't, again this is all went this kind of far flung speculation who knows about any of it but it se- it just seems to me maybe for good reasons maybe not i'd have to think more about it to have a good argument But in the case of the 1971 jet airliner flying over South America or something and passing unknowingly above one of these tribes, they can see the contrail, but the plane can't see them. It seems to me like that's not likely to be very tightly analogous to the transgalactic alien species cruising across the milky way and passing through the solar system i think by the time one's technology reaches that level it seems to me highly intuitively likely that they're scanning powers or what like if you're doing that you're probably purposefully paying attention to everything around you and you probably have really good ability to do so the united airlines flight is not, that's not their purpose or interest? They are not the starship Enterprise, whose mission is to discover unknown civilizations. You know, they're <laughs> just trying to get people from point A to point B. But that the alien explorers I th- wouldn't be surprised if that's what they were actively doing is scanning the forest below to try to find all the tribes, and that they would probably find us just to try again to stress that i have some complaints with the analogy that makes sense
0: yeah yeah i mean i i don't i don't i i don't have a huge like no i think those are two uh, possibilities uh one that you know their level of technology is great enough you know some galactic type 3 civilization or something it's great enough to catch all the signals or to be able to work out the signals from the noise and uh and the other one being that guess maybe they do still have that power but they can't catch everything all at the same time it's just you receive one signal at a time and so our signal just hasn't been received yet or something that kind of thing i think is what they're trying to say
1: right another thing that I can't appreciate, and I don't know if even the professionals can really appreciate it, is just how far things are apart out there. Yeah. And maybe that itself is the resolution to the Fermi Paradox. Well, it seems paradoxical to your stupid, chimpy intuitions, but you just don't understand how big these numbers are. And your chimp can't grok it, so there's really no mystery here. It's just that things are far apart. So maybe there are a bunch of aliens... And the only reason that you haven't run into them yet is that nobody has run into each other yet because space is big. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely part of it for sure. Okay, so... I don't know if this is a natural place to go next, but we can shoot for it. The next thing then, I guess you could say, is this paper. is more like an essay. It was written... I don't really think it was published anywhere uh prestigious or anything like that. I did look into this person in in more detail um somewhat. Uh the it's a paper called the Great Filter and it's often talked about in just like I think to uh, probably more so than this, you know, one type 1, 2 and 3 civilizations in the Kardashev scale or whatever, but Probably uh, not as much as the Drake equation or Fermi paradox or whatever. But it's one of those ones that's discussed fairly frequently. And so this paper called or essay called The Great Filter is by this guy who's like not even like, he has a background in physics in terms of one of his degrees. Probably one of his early on degrees is a physics degree. But as far as I can tell today he's kind of like an economist. (laughs) So he's not even a not an astronomer or an astrophysicist or whatever, but he strikes me as a pretty smart guy, like you know, his paper was published in 97 or 98 or something so he was, you know widely read, widely uh, he he thought about a a lot of these things, clearly like so many people interested in this topic you know, and he thought about it and I think he he thought about the great silence and he thought that, and I don't know if you're familiar with the story in this guy or whatever. Uh, Robin Hanson is his name. Um, and he, you are not? No. Oh, okay. Um, and he has this idea that somewhere along the line, there's some kind of f- filter. Like, if there is a great silence out there, this is another approach to the problem. He thinks, you know, somewhere whether you're starting out with the right solar system type of solar system where that you can produce organics or you've got, uh, you know, some type of reproduction and, you know, other types of things like, you know, simple life, like single cell life or complex single celled life, or and then you've got, eventually you get sexual reproduction, multicellular life. You know not this routine. You just keep going up the ladder and tool using animals with big brains and where we're at now, like the 0.7 type, you know, type 0.7 civilization or whatever. And then eventually you get this sort of colonization of the galaxy or whatever. So he thinks that, you know, as an interdisciplinary problem, this being you've, you've got biology, you've got physics and astronomy, and you have um, things like, you know, sociology whatnot, Um One of the stories that we tell in our various areas of inquiry, you know, whether it be we're looking at the stars and we're, you know, doing physics and whatnot, or we're just doing biology and we're studying genetics or we're studying ecology, you know, again, sociology, we're studying the dynamics of societies and whatnot. One of the things that we think about with respect to how we approach the great silence, one of these stories is wrong. Like, and so the point is that where along these steps is there a, a filter that either stops us short, life and whatever, short from getting going, or it stops it after it's really gotten going and whatnot. So, one of the things that he basically kind of notes is that um, if there is a great silence and we never find anything, like we don't even go to, we don't find life on Mars or Europa or whatever we don't we and and we just never catch any signals his kind of general conclusion is that that's a good thing because then we are past that filter potentially and that that filter is you know it's really difficult for life as we know it whatever we want to call it however we define it um that it's hard to get it up off the ground or the idea is that if we go out and we find you know signs and fossils of life on mars We find life swimming around in the oceans of Europa or wherever. And we find even in perhaps some distant solar system or whatever, the ruins of an ancient civilization. Then we are are fucked because the filter's before us and we haven't gotten to it yet. And so somewhere down the line, we fuck up potentially and that no one really gets past it. And that's why it's so damn quiet out there. So he was, you know, so one of the things he said is something similar to what you were talking about earlier. If we don't find anything, then, hey, you know, we're the one of the first or whatever, or the only or something, or the few. And then if we do find stuff, then that's a problem because potentially it's, you know, the the great data point is that it's the great silence or whatever. Yeah, and so that's kind of a real quick overview of his whole thing.
1: And and we I'll let you talk
0: and then if we want to keep going and stuff.
1: Yeah, I know that idea, I guess. I didn't recognize the name. But, and yes, that seems like a totally natural next place to go. Uh, as another potential explanation for the silence, everybody dies off. All right. Before they start making noise. It's one, I don't know if he, I would assume that he does this, maybe not. An addition I would want to make to the way that you presented it briefly right here is that there are probably many filters at different evolutionary stages, some finer-grained than others, harder to get through, maybe probably getting quote-unquote life kicked off the ground in the first place, whatever, moving from uh, replicating crystalline structures to... uh, dna style structures is probably hard maybe prokaryote eukaryote is hard who knows um maybe chimp to human is hard getting the language and infinitely extendable technology step off the ground maybe that's really hard and then maybe there's some that we are currently getting to once you approach 21st century humanity and you have Sufficient abilities to alter things at a global scale. Maybe some of the things that we've been talking about in previous weeks all come into play, and we overpopulate and starve, or we change our climate, or we have a nuclear holocaust and destroy most of life through some kind of war process, or who knows, right? I mean, this is all under this under this idea, right? It is, but there is the great the mystery. I won't say
0: great said enough the mystery here uh, that he is trying to lay out is that there may be lots of filters to varying degrees as you mentioned But one of them is great you know one of them is the one that really stops it it's the one that only very few things get through is that he's saying is that the one where you go from you know dead matter or whatever he likes to talk about it to Some kind of simple organism. Any of those steps. Is it one of those steps? Is it something later? You know, is it after us now? And it's the one that really is establishing the silence. That's what I think he's trying ultimately to say. It's the great one.
1: Is one of them not a mesh after all, but just literally a solid (laughs) that none of the grains can pass through? Exactly. Well, I mean, Um, I think... Yeah, I don't know. For me, that I'm not... Just maybe aesthetically or whatever. I'm not a fan of that. I like the idea of differing sizes of mesh that are either almost free, you drop right through, or you really need to get lucky to find a hole or whatever, but that there would be one that's a dead end. I see no reason to think so. That there would be one that's significantly harder than all the others. <sighs> I don't know. I don't. I don't buy that either, really. But I suppose there could be. Um, yeah. I, but it's yeah, interesting it's, uh, to think about that as an idea, and then to me, it's more interesting to think about that it is in our future, or maybe even immediate future, that we are approaching our, our end grid, and we're not going to get any further. And that also, it works, that would explain the silence, if whence, once most civilizations that reach a certain level of development blow themselves up, to oversimplify, that would explain why it's so damn quiet. Well, my thinking is, As
0: f- like there are these things that we talk about often, like, um, we talk about the rate of change in technology. And then we have the rate of change in terms of how we grow. Like, that there's more and more humans. That was the last, not the last episode, the one before it. I always get so confused. Anyway, it was one of the recent <laughs> ones. Um, well, anyway. But we also have, and I guess, I don't know, you can roll your eyes all you want. But it's like we have, like, a rate of our imaginations. You know, like... Where, like, how fast our brains can create the scenario to then establish ourselves in this, you know, headspace or whatever about a problem or what have you. Now, we may not have enough manpower to do it, or we may not have enough money, or we may not have enough interest, or we may not have the technology. But, like, one of the real fast rates to me seems like how quickly some people, many people, I don't know, collectively, we can all just get somewhere in our heads. And so we are at a place right now where, like, our population size is ready for liftoff. Our imaginations are all there, but, like, our technology just isn't. You know, like, we couldn't get ourselves, you know, we don't even know how to live out in space, really. We've only had, like, a few handfuls of people out there. On uh, you know, who've lived out on these space stations for an extended period of time, you know, and when I, whoever breaks the record next, we're just like, oh my god, and it makes the news, you know, it's that uncommon an experience, and yeah, there's people trying to get people to do vacations in space or whatever, but still, that's still for the wealthy people and what have you, or the lucky few that pull the right Wonka ticket, but like. And my thinking is, you know, we just have this, if there is a filter for us, it could be that. It could be that we just aren't moving fast enough in the realm of technology to be able to spread ourselves out or to find and really you – know, one of the things that I think happens often is that people talk about, oh, you know, what's our alternative energy, you know, Source and all that kind of stuff, and while we can get mired in the the political sociological sphere of things and just be like, oh, they just they want to make their money and you know whatnot, um, if there was an alternative energy source that was like kick ass, you know, we would be using it. I'm guessing that's my hunch. I don't know if there'd be this huge conspiracy because something that great. Is gonna, you know, someone's gonna use it and someone's gonna just, cause they're always gonna, you know, there's always leakers. There's always people are, you know, someone's gonna get that, like that jet pack with that fucking fuel cell on their back and they're, people be like, holy shit, you know, I want one of those. And then it'll be hard to stop. Like, if we had the energy, the capability to be able to do things that we wanna do in our heads, then we would have that, you know, like I'm guessing, you know, that just it wouldn't be this like mm, grand conspiracy to stop great new technology from dispersing because these people whose energy source is dwindling want to like just you know tank everybody.
1: I don't know I would think that is it are you kind of saying like in the 90s there was a bunch of movies right about the suppression and conspiracies around cold fusion or whatever they called it is that you're talking about like you don't think there's any magical cure all that someone in some garage somewhere discovered and right. has been suppressed. There's
0: no energy panacea out there or even something closer to it. Right now it seems like the way we get our energy we scrounge across a variety of things. And some things are not renewable. Some things are and some things we supplement. We do all these, you know, supplementing and all that and People are in business, so they're always going to say, "Yeah, solar po- solar power is awesome." You know, blah blah. And I'm I get it; it's improving, and I don't doubt that. But at the same time, is it going to like power our civilization? Probably not. You know, and I'm guessing that nobody would stand behind that, or they their business would fail or something. You know, I'll eat my hat if my solar panels don't power civilization by t- Tuesday. You know, or whatever. Like I, I I if we had it, we would use it. I think you know, and there's as we have established 7.7 billion people or whatever someone's going to be like yeah, whatever i'm just going to take this chat back and show everybody you know or whatever the fuck you know i just that's my thinking like
2: yeah.
1: and so if if there you is you don't you don't even want to get me started on this if anything it'll have to be its own episode i think i almost totally disagree with you uh in part because i so detest our current systems and economies and governments and (laughs) you're saying if it's there we would use it well one thing that is there is space is orbit in the 70s they knew that there were hundreds if not thousands of industrial processes that would be cheaper and more efficient to do in a zero gravity environment or a low gravity environment we don't use it. It's there. We know it's there. We could do it, but we don't invest in it for various political, commercial, psychological, who knows what, shitty reasons. We, right, we, our space technology in 2018 is weak, but I don't think it needs to be. I just think we, as societies, aren't valuing and pursuing those avenues right now, because we're too worried about how many of our Supreme Court justices are rapists, and uh, who's on top of the pop chart, and, you know, our, our priorities are fucked, Ryan.
0: Are you saying that our priorities aren't straight, so we have the potential to get that stuff, but we don't do it? Like, to, we have the potential to access and and create alternative, you know, solutions that would be potentially better or whatever,
1: but but we don't do it. Is that all you're saying? I don't know, you know. Pretty much, I think. Other than that, I might say it's not just that we're not doing it, but we never will because we're too far gone. Like, whatever (laughs) the Hanson filter is, we're going to hit it. We're... We had our. If we ever had a chance, I think we're probably past our best chance. Right. So we missed it. But 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 it's not like it, the option is there. I think in the universe, metaphysically, the options are there, but it does not appear that humanity is going to access them. If I had to put my money on the tipping point between us making progress or regressing, uh, yeah. We're more likely to be in caves than in spaceships. Okay. I'm
0: just trying to get a, an understanding of where you disagree with me. That's all. Like, which may be that I wasn't explaining myself very well.
1: Wait, okay. Uh, yeah, and maybe I, maybe there's less disagreement than I thought. Um, one of the things I remember you saying is something like there's no energy panacea or whatever. Um. I've been told by sources I respect, I'm pretty sure Buckminster Fuller wrote about this, that just in solar radiation itself, we could power 2018 civilization hundreds or thousands or millions, I don't know how many times over, Uh, and that's not with touching the potential subatomic stuff, you know, fission, fusion, all that kind of magical stuff, uh, or wind and water, or um, whatever tapping into the virtual particles that appear and disappear, in the vacuum energy, of the dark matter, whatever advanced physics shit there is. So there's all that, but then there's just the basic, yeah, the sun beats down on us all the time. And then the sun, and we only get one tiny, teeny fraction of what the Dyson sphere would get, that our little orb happens to pass through and get, the angle of incidence, accidentally hitting. I'm, I mean, there's just too. There's too much. There's so much energy. We just don't use any of it because we're we're idiots and useless, and we have the. You know. <laughs> All right, I could see there's. So I don't know if there's a disagreement there or not, but it's not about aliens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. But we were trying to talk. It might about be the- about alienation.
0: Right. We were trying to talk about the filter and what could it be, and we were talking about... Um, I don't know what specific thing it was that triggered me to to make mention of what I just did
1: a uh, few paragraphs back, but in any case... I think it would be cool if the filter were political, like a very high-level sociological, technical... Um, like, you know, 0. 0.7 on the civilization type scale if it were somewhere around 0.85 where the filter was i think that would be quite interesting that pretty much everybody has this high level sociological phenomenon that almost or everyone falls into and they either destroy their environment or destroy each other or like somehow blow everything up when they get advanced that would be pretty interesting hmm so this is a good
0: transition then to something that I want to talk about with this great filter essay. It's you're talking about like just sociology and psychology and the stupidity of humans at least with respect to say potential. And he kind of this Robin Hanson guy who you know god love him he's He's uh, he's a much older man now than when he wrote this thing. So he, he was a hot, young, blooded person back when he wrote this. And now he's, I, he's not, like, wrinkly old. He's younger than my parents. But he's not, you know, <laughs> he's not a young man. And this is, you know, anyway, fucking A. So he talks an awful lot. And I wonder if this is what other people have in their heads as well. This meme. Filling the niche. And when you talk about these things, these like, oh well, you know, we just there's this low earth orbit and you fill that niche, you know, like just go to the boom, you know, and you get uh, you get in there and just like elbow everyone out of the fucking way and just get it. You know, like as if it's just this thing, you go and you you know, you make you know take up space just because you Hustle hustle up, you know. And he mentions this Phil Nitch thing. Oh, that'd be a great little moniker. Anyway, uh, you know, like P H I L, and then I don't know how you <laughs> yeah, spell <Phil> it. Yeah, Phil Nitch. <laughs> Hi, I'm Phil Nitch. Um, so <laughs> he talks. He mentions it like a whole bunch of times. And it, that's not the only way to think about niches, you know. But I wonder if a lot of people, just in general, have that view that there is this thing out there and i need to just go and get it you know like and to me there's a there is the alternative of one alternative at least of a more developmental style approach to niches and that is um sort of the this one idea called niche construction that you and i have discussed in the past when i mentioned niche construction to you every time you're like that's obvious. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) obvious to some, maybe. And uh, the notion of niche construction is that you make some kind of, you know, you have some kind of effect on your world. I think the simple way that people tend to put it, at least biologists and most likely ecologists is that, you know, to live is to pollute. You know, is this idea that everywhere you go and everything you do, you're affecting it in some way, however small or however large. And that if you affect things in a large enough way, it's it's quite possible that that effect, not only does it affect other organisms or other things around you, but it affects you as well. And so now that you've had this huge impact on things, you now have to adapt or adjust to this change which is now affecting everybody and that adapting to the change means that you change and now there's this sort of feedback between you know the 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 you know the effect you're having and the, and the niche and whatever it is you get out of the process that's producing this big effect and sort of how you then handle that, that effect and so it's just kind of going back and forth and you know these little it's like these little suns are orbiting each other or something like that um, there's even now kind of and so and normally I would say know, beaver's building a dam and you know this, it's just a little stream and now it's this huge pond and you know wonder how that happened. I was happened. just going
1: to ask about that if that was an example yeah um, but then uh,
0: anyway Um, but then, you know, you could imagine, like, I think they've got developmental style, niche construction-y, they don't say niche construction, they don't know they're doing something similar in my opinion, (laughs) but when it comes to like the development of the solar system, you know, there's this idea that, you know, um, that Jupiter had a huge role in, you know, how, you know, the solar system developed. And that there's a lot of back and forth in the interplay between, you know, the effects of these various um, entities orbiting the sun and and how the other planets can form and, and whatnot. And I won't get into the gruesome details of that. But all I'm trying to say is that, you know, there's this other way of thinking about things. And I guess what I'm sort of trying to tie it into is what if... There's a civilization out there, and it has a particular impact on the galaxy. You know, you want to harken back to, like, Star Trek. Remember, they had their own little, like, it was like space global warming episode where they were, like, fucking up space time or something like that with their warp drive. They were all like, well, well, because there was, like, regions of space that were all fucked up or something like that, and they were like, well, we're going to have to, we're going to have to go to warp drive much less now, you know, like they're going to have to like cut back our warp emissions or whatever, you know, but imagine that there's some sort of effect that's going on that one civilization has. And it totally impacts how other things develop. And before you know it, it's like, well, what the great silence and the normal and all that for us is, is just this world that was sort of created through the effects of this other civilization and and maybe you know we don't even have the means to be able to understand what they do um, because we're just ships crossing in the night or something I didn't finish that really well but I I I just thought of it so that's a that's a first for you people listening you
1: 2.7 listeners or are... those are fun we <laughs> come up with new stuff that's the best is anything like this kind of what you are saying, the examples are be stupid, so. because of course it is. So, alright, it's quiet around Earth. We're not seeing enough uh, aliens landing on the White House lawn, or picking up interesting signals. Is one of the explanations for that, that there is some other, more advanced civilization who has, for some reason or other, one of the things that their niche constructs is dampeners around regions and that for some reason or other we happen to be enclosed inside of this soundproof booth that some other species made for their own purpose. They're making their little niche. They get something out of it, like the beaver builds its dam and it makes a little pond or whatever. So then the pond floods over the grass and now the grass is underwater and it's like, I wasn't planning for this! And then it <laughs> dies or whatever. So maybe there's we're just inside of someone else's universe-changing behavior. Yes. And part of what that does is make it sound quiet. Right, or just... That's what you're getting at, yeah.
0: Yeah, or just it makes it so that what we would expect, because we're developing in our own little way, having our own little expectations develop, like what we would expect is not what we can detect or whatever because of the circumstances of the galaxy or more than that that some civilization is producing.
1: So is this saying... Or what's wrong with saying, what we're doing now is just expanding ecology out into a solar system, galaxy, universe, or whatever, instead of just being on Earth. And saying, all right, well, if whether or not we become cognitively, consciously aware of the presence of an intelligent extraterrestrial species, that's only one possible mode of interaction. There could be all sorts of other modes that do not include awareness of their presence, but there still could be all sorts of causal influence exchanged. For sure. Isn't that cool? <laughs> and, that, and that we're just part of this ga- galactic ecology now, and some stupid beaver species totally. built a dam and flooded us with, uh, put a pillow over our <laughs> head or whatever, and now we can't hear anybody and it's not our fault and the signals are out there but we've been blocked cuz we're underwater behind their beaver dam i like yeah it. that's that's the idea trying to do our thing but we
0: we uh what we don't know what our thing is cuz it's all wishy and squ- squ- squishy and squashy or something anyway yeah that was that was kind of what i was thinking cuz i i thought about like he was all like mm, Phil niche and i was like who is that guy um but sometimes anyway there we go. Sweet. Can we change gears or move to another spot here?
1: I encourage it. <laughs> okay. But that was a fun and good one, and obviously, like having new thoughts on air, that's the mo- that's the best. That's exciting. Yeah, that was that was good. Congratulations! Yeah, that was, that was uh, <laughs> yay. You gave birth right <laughs> here. I know this baby was
0: like yeah. Anyway, um. The other thing I thought of uh, when he lists out his – we're still with the Great Filter and Robin Hanson. You know, he has his whole, you know, you know, step one, be in the right solar system. Step two, reproduce something. You know, and then step three, simple, single-cell life and all that kind of crap. It kind of – it sort of reminds me – there was um, this – this book, you may have heard of it. I don't know. It was kind of popular among people like you and me for a little while there, I think. And it was this paleobiologist, um, Peter Ward. He's up at the University of Washington in Seattle. And um, this astrobiologist, Donald Brownlee. And I don't know where Brownlee is. Maybe he's at UW as well. Whatever. And they had this whole thing called the Goldilocks zone. And this rare earth hypothesis. And that it's, you know, everything has to be just right. You know, like, you got to be so distant, you know, so much of a distance from the sun in order to not, like, evaporate the water. And, do you know, all this very specific stuff. You know, give give rise to multicellular life on on earth. All those things. um, And that, you know, that was sort of the problem, is that we just happened to land in that zone, blah, 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 blah. And one of the things, though, was that this... I think in review of the book, which is this was kind of laid out in a book in particular, um, by Ward and Brownlee, who I just mentioned, this other guy, this is astronomer David Darling. He was like, you know, you guys just described how multicellular life arose on Earth. Like, mm-hmm. um, okay. You know, like, that's nice. It's, it's just right for an explanation of, you know, of a description more than, than anything. And uh, I kind of think that that's sort of what we also get with this great filter thing where it's like, where's the great filter? You know, let's go back to, you know, it's like a, you know, end of one trial or whatever, right? Like they just, we have this, we have us. <laughs> it's not only the baseline, it's our only line, you know? And so we don't have this ability to do anything but describe it what we are, what we think we are, you know, whatever the story is we tell of ourselves. And then we have to go back and lop things off somewhere in a great filter. And that that was another thing that I, this was sort of, this is that theme throughout this whole episode that, you know, we, we get stuck in this sort of mindset where, you know, we just are thinking, oh, well, you know, the other, the other big one is, uh, well, of course, all, whatever life, whatever it is whatever defines life, which I mean, we've, we've tiptoed around tonight, New uh, episode. but yeah, different episode. Um, but whatever the fuck that is, it's got to be carbon based, you know, like it can't be silicone. We already tried it, it's not going to work, you know, like it's this thinking that everything is just a very particular way, and that particular way is our way. And it seems to me the more that I think of it in that light. The more, you know, like this astronomer guy, David Darling, the way he talked about the Goldilocks zone and the rare earth hypothesis, that's all we've got. We've just got our own story about ourselves and we're just going around, just flip-flopping it everywhere. Just like, here's a, you know, here's a spot. Let's see if we can look in the mirror. Oh, shit. There's no, no reflection. Nothing's there. Just keep moving. You know, like we really, it's a, it's, it's just a really corny thing to say. But it's like, we need to think outside the box, you know? Um, And that box is fucking us and everything we talk about with respect to ourselves.
1: Yeah, this seems like a very boxy position. And I'm, again, not my area of expertise. I'm willing to learn from someone who knows more. It strikes this ignorant observer as very... Uh, anthropocentric and arbitrary. And there's one place where I can see a virtue in Goldilocks zone thinking. As a heuristic to guide our expenditures in a very restricted economic position if I've only got so much telescope time, or, you know, I only, when I'm very limited as to how I can conduct my examinations, maybe this could be an argument for, since we quote-unquote know of one example of intelligent life, and we can only look for five minutes, we might as well try to look in regions that resemble ours. That is okay with me as just a heuristic, but if anyone wants to expand out from that and make any kind of ontological claims based on it, if you are going to find any extraterrestrial intelligence, you will find it in a Goldilocks zone, because I'm, I feel quite hostile to those kind of claims.
0: You know what you need? You need advanced armchair technology.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. This is this and you have a more to say about this bumper sticker?
0: Yeah, th- well, I guess. There you go. There's one. But yeah, you need to sit and think for fuck's sake and try and you know, I, the problem is that scientists spend like all their fucking time, you know, stressing out trying to they're sitting at the bench if they're lab based and honestly a lot of astrobiologists for instance are lab based where are they gonna go i mean they do go to like hot springs you know uh but like they're not they're not like whoo this summer expedition to mars is going to be great you know they they're stuck here on earth and trying to establish you know uh conditions in a lab not you know or study the ones that they think might be going on in planets someplace else like extreme environments or whatever and if life can live there you know that kind of thing but you know the the one thing that's nice about astrobiology is that it's sort of a relatively young science right and so i mean it's it's had a name change it was exobiology beforehand um but again, they're not really they're they're concerned with just life. They're not even concerned about it, quote unquote, intelligence. Two words that we have not defined. <laughs> we're so fucked in this part of our discussion. We're just like yeah, words. Just throw them around. Um, everybody- well,
1: I mean that we even bother to notice and remark upon that we're throwing them around. I think sets us apart from most. People are pretty comfortable using the words life and intelligence, but. We just want to indicate to any persnickety people listening that we realize that both of those are extremely complex, complicated concepts that are worthy of entire episodes of nice. trying to define. But for now we're just gonna right. hope that most people have a general idea and go with it. Right. But even
0: still, like if you know, if 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 even we're gonna try and figure out the lower ends of you know, this, you know, area of reproduction something and complex single cell life or whatever. You know, these astrobiologists are just trying to figure that out and they can't really go anywhere. So it's you need to sort of go home or take a vacation. Money needs to be set aside and it needs to be legitimized for scientists to spend like half their budget on thinking, you know, where they... They can go with a notebook and some books that they got at the library or a bookstore or whatever on their their fucking iPad, or I don't know, and just read and think and write. Because they are also going to get time in the lab, but we're so, like, you know, oriented towards being productive and, you know... A lot of big gadget science goes on, so the, the you know, the funding awards are much larger. There's not a lot of small grants that get thrown around, you know, so it's just, I don't know. It's too bad, and I think that's part of the whole thing that you were saying earlier about, like, oh, the system's fucked, and that's our great filters, our idiocy, or whatever, which is fine. <laughs> I don't disagree there, but, you know, it's it's still... It's still one of those things where if they could sit there and think about it, they might have some aha moments, and uh, try and figure out ways to utilize that inspiration in the lab, and get outside that box. Um, but instead, you're just so under the gun and the pressure, and every, every every little fucking dollar has to be accounted for, and it's just it's just no way to do science. And oddly enough, that's how we do it how did this become like a fucking like
2: <laughs>
0: thing about the process? You know, God damn it. We're talking about aliens, but I think on a, uh, on a, on a certain level, the problem with this whole search for extraterrestrial intelligence, wherever we're looking or hearing or listening or whatever is, uh, in part this political slash, you know, um, I don't know what the slash is supposed to be political slash societal issue. We have with funding this kind of research because children are starving. You know, of course they are. Yes. We need to stop that too, but we, you know, come on. We also need to think about things a little (laughs) bit more than just that, because then all we do is spend our time thinking about the anguish of society. And we never think about what's great. And we need that too for our own fucking collective health. But, uh, SETI has a huge problem, you know, whenever I listen to that Seth Shostak um, podcast, I don't even remember what it's fucking called anymore. It's been a long time since I listened. It's always like a plea for money, you know, and not in a bad way, but in like a sort of like, Jesus Christ, why don't these, you know, people have any money and they always run out of money and then they can't use these, you know, antennas anymore, you know, and it would have been great. You know, it's, it's always, they're up against, like you were saying as well this problem. And so we can't advance our understanding and our um, appreciation for this topic. If we can't fit it within the system that we operate in, we can't fit it within our financial systems. We can't, you know what I mean? So we can't, I don't know. It's sort of, it's sort of a have and have nots kind of scenario. and, the cancer research people are the haves, even though they would complain, yeah, it's going away, the research money. They're the ones who get Biden's moonshot, not SETI, you know. Mm. Um, and so it's funny, you get only so much time on this planet and you spend more than half of it thinking about your own death when I mean, you could be thinking about other things. But it's neither here nor there, I guess. But if we did moonshots with SETI or something like that, even if it did fail that would be a better use of our time than you know trying to find more dead ends
2: with cancer research or something anyway
1: there is very little that gets my chimp going harder and faster than thinking about economic limitations that that there's a problem or a question that the only reason we don't solve is that it costs money uh, makes people who don't people who realize that money is entirely fake social construction that shouldn't limit anything very frustrated yeah um I mean, but you know this is not the topic and whatever but
0: it's well it's not, but it is too right it's it's you know where are they well, how much money do you have? <laughs> I'll find him
1: if you give me a certain amount of right. money. you know, give me, mo- but it just it doesn't have anything to do with money. Are we alone in the universe or not? There are behaviors we can engage in to attempt to make progress at answering that question. Nowhere in any of that is money or ought be money, but of course, on earth twenty eighteen there's money in. Almost everything. And that makes me want to hoot and holler and beat my chest and rip somebody's toes off.
0: Ooh, that's nothing yeah, I can do different. about it. <laughs> rip somebody's toes off? Is that how you guys do it in Minnesota? Bite them
1: off? Do they? Yeah, I'm supposed to bite them off. Right
0: uh, I'm like, I think in New Jersey they just tear your throat out, but in Minnesota we 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 rip your toes off one by one. Isn't that a
1: thing the chimps do or some of the apes No, I think I they, they, rip they went your after dick the off. toes. But anyway. Ooh. I'm serious. I don't have the guts for that. <laughs> they
0: they any like they rip your dick and they take your nose off, right? Like they do those things. Like there was a guy just listen to Joe Rogan. <laughs> He'll tell you all about it. Just look it up. Joe Rogan something. Beep
1: beep. How much beep. is he paying you anyways? <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, exactly. Um are you with me on Goldilocks Zone style thing that it's like no we are there good reasons to suspect that if there are, if there is intelligent life, that it will resemble us in some set of ways?
0: Wait, say that again?
1: Are there good reasons to suspect that if there is non-human intelligent life in the universe that there is some set of ways in which they will resemble us such as well whatever else we know we know it's going to be carbon-based or well whatever else we know it's going to be on a planet that has prevalent water or it's going to have an atmosphere of this concentration or is there are there good reasons to think that there are anything that you can plug in there that if you're going to find intelligent life, it will arise under these conditions. Because I want to say no. Well,
0: that's there's no what reason was, to
1: think there's anything.
0: I was trying to figure out if we were going to have a big fight here. I was like, Jesus, if I
1: say no, is he going to be like, what the hell is
0: wrong with you? And okay, so I was on. just
1: checking. I thought you agreed. <laughs> I was just checking. Okay, so we both yes. say no to that. Do you happen to know? what the people who disagree with us and think that there are good reasons to think that there's going to be a similarity, you know, what they would say or not. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um,
0: there's a paleo paleontologist named Simon Conway Morris, but he doesn't even think, uh, he takes it even further than like, the Goldilocks zone people, they at least say, well, if there's planets that happen to be in that spot or whatever, but he thinks that like, I mean, he's, he is religious, I think. And so that's his problem. But when he <laughs> does his research about this, you know, talking about these kinds of things, he kind of thinks that, you know, there's sort of like, you know, an almost near impossibility that life can happen elsewhere, you know, and that it really requires the conditions that we have and so I think he would probably argue with us for hours about, it. and he's pretty well i mean he's really well read his his um the second book he has a first book called <laughs> the crucible of creation and then but it's not he's he's he started at he's His pedigree is such that people take him seriously, okay, enough, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's not like he's just some, you know.
1: Yeah, I've heard the name. Yeah. Um, So anyway, that's, we can point people toward that as someone who does disagree, but we, you couldn't rehearse one of his arguments necessarily off the top of your head. That's fine.
0: Well, his Uh, arguments are just based on just like, it's all tons and tons of evidentiary premises and a lot of, uh, to harken back to the last episode, a lot of sort of, like, surely kind of, you know,
2: anger. Well, sure, <laughs>
0: Yeah. I mean, he's just like, you know... Or, or it, it, his big one is, it's a similar thing, but he's like, and should we hardly be surprised? You know, it's that kind of like, and should we be surprised? And like, every turn is like a... And then, of course, yeah. you
1: and I might say, yes, yeah, we should.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, <clears throat> um... But his whole thing is uh, like that. And his second book is called Life Solution. And uh, it, it's basically, yeah, in and, and every turn, he finds the right information. And I don't know how much he bastardizes it or not, because it's, it's quite a, a large amount of work. And, you know, at every turn, it's just like, nope, you can't get organics happening out in, in space. You can't, you can't do anything you know it's like it, it's by the end of it it's like well only god loves humans it's it feels like that at the end you're like oh of mm-hmm. course so he goes off the rails but he's definitely one of those people in my opinion who would definitely defend the that approach but i don't think he i mean i think there's other people like i don't know i mean i, I would suspect someone like richard dawkins or whatever would think you know carbon based and water and all that and I think that these guys who wrote The Goldilocks Zone and The Rare Earth Hypothesis, I think they would really think that that's the most critical thing. And You know, we're going to find life like us because that's the only way you can get life or whatever. Let's not define any of it and whatnot, but still. But,
1: yeah, I don't even know why someone would think that. So, and this is, Dawkins is a universal Darwinism guy, right? I think that's even where I first ran into that phrase. Uh, but any, you know, it, if you just take the Campbell formulation or whatever, anywhere in any medium that one sees selective, or I mean variation with selective retention. What, what's the Campbell? Blind variation.
0: <laughs> Blind variation. Blind
1: variation retention. with selective retention. That you will see an evolutionary process. And then that I want to add, which I suppose is much more contentious that will tend toward intelligence um then why anyone who's willing to buy natural selection in its general formulation would be so conservative in their in their basis nope it's got to be only when it happens in carbon w- what like why i don't know I, need to hear I, think, the I think it's just
0: that. like, you know, well, there's scientists love the whole plausibility game, I guess. And um, plausibility for scientists, in my opinion, or my view, comes down to just, can I solve this little problem? You know, is it something that's, I know you don't want to talk about money, but is it something that's going to break the bank? or not. Is it something that will bear fruit? You know, scientists, advisors, etc. they'll always tell you, you know, you know, if you can go for low hanging fruit, go for it, you know? And so in the business of doing science, <laughs> I think that's kind of the motivation, motivating factor. And so, you know, and you get proud of the work that you've done and you get proud of uh, you know, the, the connections and the life you've built. And so you don't want to just toss that away just because you didn't think widely enough, you know. You did solid work, and other people respect that. And so I think that's sort of where this all goes. Uh, you and me are on the outside, so we don't have to worry about that, you know. We don't have... Our reputations to ruin
1: <laughs> um no we did that in many episodes ago
0: well if i mean this is idiot's delight so uh yeah i mean it's uh <laughs> so yeah it, it, it's not it's not the same thing i think they're just conserve conservation comes from how ha- feeling fearing you have something to lose i guess uh and so who, who doesn't feel like they have something to lose, but like every scientist, <laughs> it's like, I want to do this one thing, but I'm not an accountant and I'm not a doctor and, you know, like, and I'm not a toll booth operator, you know, like I, it's, it's not a bullshit job, but it's a, you know, it's like being a scientist is like being in a band. You know, it's like, oh, good luck with that You know, like, it's <laughs> I want to do a stand-up comedy You know, like, I just think that's what it is And you know what's even worse than being a scientist Is being like, I'm gonna be a philosopher Right? That's probably worse Be like, okay, son Or daughter, or whatever You know No son of mine will ever be a Yeah, you know, it's the whole joke about Like, well, I you're gonna No, be America a 2018
1: baby. doesn't have Philosopher as a Job As far as I can tell. I mean, we have... Our simulation of it is professors of philosophy. But that... Well, this is is not the topic! (laughs) Uh, You know, does does teaching children and being forced to publish very specific articles on well-established problems in currently existing journals have much to do with loving wisdom... I don't... Know, whatever. Separate issue. I don't... All right. Do you, I kind of <laughs> don't think these are
0: separate issues. I think they're very related to the problem of where are they? Well, we're not, you know, as worried about where they are. If we were really worried about where they were, we'd we'd put more of our resources to figuring that problem out. Uh, that's, I think, what it comes down to. And I think that's a no, big problem. Yeah, we
1: obviously as an aggregate, as a we, as a public, don't care, it seems. But then again, okay, so if we didn't care, why would UFO visitations slash crop circles, you know, why would all of this be such a money-making industry? Why are there so many television shows about it? And so many books published about it? And so many towns that make their existence on the tourism industry of uh, seekers. In a sense, it does seem like extraterrestrials would be an important part of the zeitgeist and wor- worthy of some expenditure. But it it doesn't happen. So what's how do we explain that paradox? Well, because it's no different
0: than, you know... The home of Bigfoot or, you know, Yeti or, you know, the fucking, what's that thing called that they always say, the Koopa Chabra The Chuba or, Capra.
1: Right?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a way to attract people who, what are they doing? They're not, they're not at work. They are, it, it's like, get your popcorn ready. You know, it's, it's not, we don't take it seriously. You know, it's not the great silence. It's like the great ignoring, you know, like it's it like it my, I remember they, they said at school, school nurse sent something home saying that, you know, essentially like, you know, Liam didn't pass my son, didn't pass his hearing test. And, uh, and, and I'm like, does he have a hearing problem or does he have a listening problem? Like that's really what it is, and when I asked him, he was like, "Yeah, I just got bored and I do not want to listen anymore." And you know, like I was like, "Of course, you know, like as <laughs> soon as it, as soon as it doesn't seem, as soon as it doesn't touch on your anxieties, it's gone." You know, when it comes to topics that we devote resources to, and so part of it could just be us. We're just we're just a highly anxious lineage and i'll say this you were like "Ooh, you know something about chimps and humans or whatever and i was like aren't we just chimps that call ourselves humans is that the difference between us and them yeah there's probably other differences but come on now <laughs> um, well
1: that's a big difference though being able to call ourselves something we need to do yeah, that yeah, episode yeah. at some point yes yes we should
0: we, <laughs> we we've <laughs> talked all, about a lot of episodes we should do tonight um But to me, anyway, it's a relevancy issue, right? And when you talk about the great silence, could that also be a big part of it? Is that we just really aren't listening, you know? Like, we just haven't listened enough. And we don't even... Maybe we don't even know what listening is. You were talking about, like, a Type 3 civilization, just scanners everywhere, just like... You know, it's like everything it collects or whatever... We don't even know what that means, to collect a ton of information. We're like, oh, big data! And probably every Type <laughs> 3 civilization is like, oh, okay. You know, like, uh, think about it. In those terms, it, it seems like we haven't even, like, done anything. We haven't, fuck, we haven't even gone to the moon, really. Six times, like, six trips or whatever. Like, Jesus. No.
1: And all we do up Where there, are they? Where, where's the
0: fucking moon, dude? Half the fucking people on this goddamn planet probably are like, who faked it? You know, I mean, Jesus Christ. Like, what do we expect? Where are they?
1: This is good. We're getting into it now. That, like...
0: <laughs> well, tru- I like... True. That like well, but I like that turn. What do you mean, where are they? Well, fucking, like, one guy asks a question. One guy asks a question. We're still talking about that question. Like, what are we, philosophers? <laughs> Uh, footnotes to fermi i
1: I like to think about that one too that the aliens have found us but they've remained hidden on purpose because they can tell that we fucking suck that you know that would be a type of consolation to me can you
0: see the one alien who gets seen or the we are seeing the ufos And, like, every once in a while they have to go to, like, the tribunal and they're like, Jesus Christ, Gary, you know, I'm sorry I didn't hit the invisible (laughs) button or whatever. And they're like, we don't want them to notice us. They're weird and they smell. (laughs) We've been trying to stop their advancement at every turn, whispering in their ears about stupid shit.
1: Vote for Trump. All right, Gary, put on a blonde wig and get down there. And it's tweet okay. a lot. Jesus Get yourself yeah, totally. in the White House and set him back a few decades.
0: Oh my God, so true.
1: I mean, honestly, that's your punishment. He, yeah, that, I mean, that would explain the whole Trump thing if, if he were an alien setup, <laughs> and a a patsy they put in there to drive us backwards. Well, no,
0: him and Putin—they're just sort of like—I don't know that guy. You're Gary and Jerry. <laughs> Jesus oh well fucking aliens we
1: keep hoping things are explainable
0: (laughs) we keep hoping
1: it's just human stupidity so alright what would it do I'm curious as to your response to this question what would it do to America Humanity Earth 2018 if the grays landed on the White House lawn or whatever. If we had an obvious encounter where they showed up and they started doing technological magic, Arthur C. Clarke-style magic, <laughs> and blowing our minds. Magic and tricks. they're like, nope, we're here. Uh, deal with it. What would Earth do? Like...
0: I have this, uh, there's this thing that both my kids have done when they go potty and you got to wipe their butts. We've gotten them, you know, and I don't think this is uncommon, but you have them like put their hands down on the ground and they just sort of like, you know, their butts are in the air and you wipe. I kind of think that's what we should all do collectively. I'm not trying to make fun of it too much, but I am kind of like that. It was just like the faces of children, just like, oh, I got to get my butt wiped now. And just like grab your ankles and just expect them to be so advanced that we are essentially just cattle. I doubt they would land and be like, oh, you know? Look at this. We have doors. You have doors. You know, like, I just don't think that would be... you know, like, oh, I walked out of but my do- door. Mine goes left to the right. You know, like...
1: No, they would... Doors are a good idea, though. Yeah. I wouldn't be... That is something that we probably share. Doors are a good one. Do you think doors... Um... Do you think? They, do you think they would have doors? Yeah. Why?
0: Do you think they need privacy? Because
1: They're- the other solution... To a door is, um, whatever, transubstantial, that you could just walk through walls. If you can't walk through walls, then you're going to need doors, right?
0: Well, why don't they just transport
1: out? Well, yeah, maybe. If you were that good at transporting, then you wouldn't need them. And that's, so maybe, that'd be a a way to dodge doors. I don't know. Dodge doors. Um... But, alright, so you're saying, perhaps, the appropriate, what you think the appropriate response to an alien encounter would be, <laughs> would be, band over and grab rank. it would be subjugation, it would be, you know, alright, help me out, you guys are way better than me, show me how it's done, take care of me, whatever. I don't think that most humans would accept that as the proper response. Do you wouldn't they say, I have a Second Amendment right, and no. attempt to blow them away? And no, no, I don't think it would be like that. I think, I
0: think people would witness power, a real power, and they'd just be like, "There's no way." I think everybody would just be like, "No, I we, there's nothing we can do. Just to, you'd just be at the mercy." And they would. Who knows what they would be even interested in. But you just have to, you know, shut up and listen, you know, or whatever. Like, just, I doubt that, you know, I doubt that there's a conversation. You know what I'm saying?
1: So, you think that whatever this alien was that showed up would be sufficiently advanced and interpersonally, interspecially skilled enough to realize what sorts of displays they would need to give to blow the minds of the humans and influence them into bending over. And then they would do that, and then the humans would recognize their power. They would be impressed enough that they would just roll over. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I think it would just be like a whole... And it's not like an alpha-beta thing. I think it would just be... Oh, you know, this is so beyond anything we can barely even comprehend. So the thing then is, why would they be contacting us? That would be my thinking. Because if they're what we'd say, you know, everyone says they're, oh, they'll be so advanced because they'll be so much older and all that kind of crap. If something like that were to happen, then what would the reason be for them to, like, stop by? It wouldn't be like to say, hey... You know, like, it's just you and us so far. You know? I'm guessing that they'd probably be like, there's a problem, you know, and this is what we're going to do. You know, like, it would just, that would be my guess. Like, I don't see why they'd have any other reason to stop by. Like, it's just like, I just don't see it. And and maybe I've read too many science fiction books or whatever. It, like, it reminds me of, like, uh, Arthur C. Clarke's Childhood's End, where they just come, and they just literally, like, in... Um, South Af- South Africa, it was, you know, an older book in the 20th century or whatever. Um, but sort of in the same sort of style as like Independence Day and all that kind of stuff. But these aliens just show up and they don't even like, they have their ships or whatever it is, but you don't even see them, you know, like an individual alien. You just see their technology and all that kind of stuff. And during the apartheid in South Africa, they just literally put up a date, And it just ticks away like the time that you have left and people are trying to figure it out. And then they finally just do, they're like, Oh, we just have to be nice to each other. And they are, and they are before the time that like they have to be, but I just, I was thinking, yeah, that's what they would just be like, you know, like here it is. You're just going to do this. You can tell we are so way more advanced than you. We don't even have to do anything. Just give you a little hint let you figure it out you know we you know we're not putting it over uh this t- you know clock over you know the amazon no we're putting it over johannesburg you know where there's clearly a problems or whatever you know it'd be like if they showed up in nazi germany and we're like you have a this date to like solve this uh, ghetto concentration camp thing like you're not going to kill anybody you know anyway I was, you know, it's like, it's the whole, like, somehow they would have the ability to know exactly what to say to you, to make you go, oh yeah, I guess I have to do that. That's my thinking, that they'd just be at that level.
1: All right, what about this, you know, pseudo-argument? We get to take the great silence as a premise, we've had that all night. The great silence indicates that the universe is not overpopulated, right? So I'm going to go from there to there. Uh, Human beings being not even type one is the legitimation of the premise, we are not a threat. So it's not like they need to come after us because if they don't, we might hurt them because we're not capable of it. It's not like they need our resources. That's one of the funny things from fiction. Whenever (laughs) they have the aliens come down here because they need some of our resources. What? (laughs) If you're flying around the galaxy, who cares about this tiny little, you know, we're a glorified asteroid. Anyway, so they don't need our resources. (laughs) They're not worried about us coming after them. What would be, to me, it seems like if the aliens stopped by, it's more likely that they would be benevolent than malevolent. Because what what do they care? They're not going to come down here to take something from us because they don't need it. There's tons of shit out there for free. They're not going to come down here because they need to, because we're a competitor that they need to squash because right. we're not even that good. If they bothered to stop by, it seems like they would be probably interested in helping us out in some way because they realize well we are both allies in the grand battle against entropy (laughs) you guys are more organized mass energy in the universe than the shit over there in the sun or the shit over there in the vacuum you guys suck But you're less entropic than most of the universe, so you're on our team against trying to stop the heat death of everything, and we're going to help you out. That's my guess, that if aliens did stop by that were significantly more advanced than us, they would want to help, because if they have any problems left, it would be something on the universal scale of... Second law of thermodynamics. We need to fix that shit, <laughs> and maybe you guys can help us out if we teach you how to be less dumb.
0: Yeah, and I would say that is a an explicit way of thinking of it, but we could be kind of more general and just say, say they have um, theoretical grounds upon which they make their decisions to contact other whatever we we are intelligent or not <laughs> uh you know uh maybe you know I, the most advanced technology maybe they have a line that they draw in the sand and say, oh you crossed it like in star trek where mm-hmm. you know it's the you know whatever the warp speed or something um and and that it's not just simply i mean the warp speed thing makes sense in that bad idea uh, because you're going to run into them sooner or later so they might want to be the ones to make first greetings rather than you just like showing up and be like what the fuck you know Um, although that would be a fun premise for a Star Trek Um, uh, but in general like I think yeah that there's there's some theoretical basis for why you know one is deciding to do what they do or whatever and I guess you could probably draw maybe some fictional analogy or something like that from our own societies or whatever be like, if we went and, you know, uh, made contact with, I don't know, some kind of, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, some kind of tribes or whatever it is. And we knew to do it because we had reasons to suspect that eventually some hunter gatherer tribe, they were going to run into us, uh, but, you know, when they run into us, they were going to be exposed to all these diseases and they would just get wiped out. So what we need to do is we need to get there early and start inoculating them lightly and slowly getting them up to speed so that they finally, when they are able to really integrate their immune system, quote unquote, collectively is is able to withstand, you know, the craziness that happens when they finally come into the big global civilization or something. Because they're on their way and we just got to get there before they do. You know, something, you know what I mean? Like I could see... That's another explicit example, I guess. But, yeah, they'd have some reason to do it. Mm -hmm. And it would be relatively benevolent, because what the fuck's the point of being malevolent? I'm not quite sure.
1: At that point. Yeah, right. What's the point? It's just a consequence of scarcity and stupidity.
0: Well, it's us. Again, it's like
1: an N of one
0: trial. You know, I just have me, you know.
1: That or an example that does, a negative example that does make sense to me is kind of a Douglas Adams Vogons type scenario where uh, we're just merely a problem and they just need to blow it up to make the hyperspace expressway or whatever they were doing. Yeah. And they just didn't care about us one way or the other. And it was just like annihilate for our own reasons and we, you, you know. Right. That. It's not really the same thing as malevolence, and there's no cruelty involved, and it's just what, you know... Uh, and that,
0: that was so I could see end. that, maybe. Yeah, that that was ultimately childhood's end. There was some... I don't remember all the details, but we were fucking things up, and they were, like, being really nice to us until the end. They were like, okay, you all have to die, or whatever. <laughs> so, so they were like, yeah, you know, but they, like, they they got to humanity... Early enough so that humanity could have a long time of like awesomeness. And then they were like, But on this day you all have to die or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Anyway.
1: Wah, wah. Wah,
0: wah. So uh this is the part of the night that you always hate. But uh I'm looking at two hours here, so we have our stupid rule that I love to
2: new ideas, Ireland.
0: Um, Time to
1: exchange our sweaters for suit jackets and sneakers for uh, whatever those leather shoes are called and step back out into the neighborhood.
0: Or just grab your ankles. Something like that.
1: (laughs) That sounded like a good final line. (laughs) Okay. All right. Everybody grab your ankles. The aliens are coming.